This is Joanna DeCellis, editor of Club and Resort Chef. In this episode of Club and Resort Talks, we're chatting with Fred Ramsey, executive chef of Pelican Golf Club in Bel Air, Florida. Chef Ramsey has spent his entire career navigating a complex racial divide between himself and others in the kitchens and clubs where he's worked. Despite those challenges, or maybe because of them, Chef Ramsey is an incredibly strong and steady leader. He treats people with the utmost respect, regardless of their race, gender, or sexual orientation. He is fair, honest, and consistent, and he's now thriving in a club that fully supports him and with a diverse team he's proud to lead. Thanks for joining us today, Chef. So you are at Pelican Golf Club. How long have you been there? Um, It's been a year and 10 months, counting this month. What brought you to Pelican? Honestly, uh, a new change, um, a change from the last club, the last GM, last club manager, and I was looking for something else and I found it. So what were you looking for? Um, A better working relationship, a better understanding of the job, the challenges, uh, somebody that's going to listen, and I just didn't get that. I never did. Tell us a little bit about the food and beverage operation at Pelican. Well, it started off small. It started off as um, a small bistro. The bistro has the pro shop and also the restaurant. So it's a small clubhouse. And that was the initial uh, groundbreaking for the members, you know, to have somewhere to to eat after golf, before golf, dinner. Uh, We just opened the main clubhouse and it's just, it's gorgeous. Uh, The main clubhouse, um, it has state art fitness center, um, men's ladies locker room, uh, the Albatross steakhouse is going to be there. That's the fine dining steakhouse. Uh, we have a wine cellar, 5,000 bottles, uh, a tasting room and a chef's table all downstairs in the cellar. We have a dedicated pastry kitchen. So, you know, the pastry chef doesn't have to share the main kitchen with other cooks. I mean, they got their own space. I mean, every, anything you can name is, is there. I mean, they got combis, blast chiller, uh, dough sheeters. I mean, walk-in cooler. It's, it's pretty much everything that a pastry chef would probably dream of. And then the main kitchen, uh, we have the two kitchens. We have the, the line for the albatross, which is the fine dining restaurant. And then we have the line for banquets. Again, both kitchens are outfitted with pretty much everything I could at the time could think of, you know, uh, that I would need. So it's a pretty big operation. And then we also have like, you know, banquets and event facilities. We have a, a lawn area that's uh, turf grass. It's gorgeous. I think everything was about everything was, was thought of when they designed the clubhouse. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's not your typical golf clubhouse, you know, with decor and all that stuff. It's a little bit more trendy. Now, you had a pretty big part of, of outfitting these new kitchens. You got to choose equipment and design and everything, right? Yes, I did. Now, what were you looking for as part of that process? What, what, what do you look for in new equipment? You know, the owners basically gave me a blank check after I started. You know, uh, the original uh, bistro, the equipment purchases were already done, so I couldn't really change them. But uh, there were some pieces that I didn't like, brands I didn't like. And, you know, after we successfully opened the bistro, I mean, they trusted me and the judgment that I had when it came to, you know, choosing the right kitchen equipment. They wanted me to be successful. So it's like, chef, whatever you got to do. I know I always wanted a blast chiller. So I researched blast chillers. Uh, You know, I talked to other chefs. 
And that's something that I always do. I'm not like a closed-minded individual. I, I reach out to other chefs to get their opinions, to, you know, what did you buy? What didn't you like, didn't like? They love the Aeronox brand blast chiller. So I looked it up and it was like the top of the line blast chiller or whatever. So that was like, how am I target? How am I list? Uh, and then from there, it was uh, combis. We have in the main kitchen, uh, one, two, three combis, plus the pastry shop has a combi. So we were buying a good bit of combi. So I wanted to make the best decision. You know, the combi that we had in the bistro, I've had issues with it. I didn't like it. Uh, so I wanted to either go through rationale or Altersham. So I did my homework. We went up to the factories, um, you know, just did a lot of research. Even still, I asked a lot of chefs, you know, what did you like? What, what didn't you like? Most of them actually liked the, uh, the rationale, but I actually went with the Altersham. So I, I kind of liked it, uh, American made. So I liked the service. I liked the chefs after I met them. I felt comfortable about the support. So that's kind of how I chose that refrigeration equipment i like the victory i remember i seen it at one of the uh chicago shows and it just looked luxury i mean it, it didn't look like the the other stuff you know the true stuff that i'm used to getting and stuff like that this it looked like a cadillac in a kitchen it was shiny and i just i was just i loved it so that's what i went with and then when it came to like our heavy duty line equipment you know the, the first choice was actually the Heston stuff. You know, I was thrilled about it. I was like, this is the stuff that uh, Thomas Keller uses and, you know, he stands behind or whatever. And I was really excited about it. But we had a lot of issues in the bistro with the equipment. And, you know, we couldn't get service. Uh, it wasn't that great. And I started having doubts or whatever. And I'm like, if I'm getting ready to open this main kitchen and I'm going to potentially use this equipment, I need to feel good about what I'm doing here because, you know, everybody know I've had struggles with it. The GM knows I've had struggles with it. So, you know, how do, how do I look as a chef purchasing this equipment, knowing I've already had issues with it, you know, simply because it's just something I want. I mean, that was really something I really wanted, but it was a choice that I had to make. Like what's, what's, what's best for the operation? What's best long-term? You know, and as a chef, sometimes that's just what you have to do. You have to put your wants aside and, you know, and just decide on what's best for the overall operation. So that's kind of what I did. I just, I went with a different brand. I went with the Montague brand. So we'll have success with that. What have you learned during this process? Well, I think the biggest thing I learned about this project is, you know, spaces don't always seem to be as big as what they seem to be on paper, you know, because, you know, even in the pastry shop, it looked like it was a lot of space. But after I started adding equipment, because the original plan then called for a blast chiller and some of the other pieces of, of equipment that I had in there, you know, refrigeration equipment, and the wall started filling up and the spaces started filling up. So it looks like you got space when actually, you know, once everything drops in, you don't. So that's probably the biggest thing that, you know, I learned through this process, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, new to equipment or whatever. So, you know, I've, I've bought equipment over the years, but I've never had an opportunity to buy equipment at this level, you know, um, and, and, and being told that, Hey, get what you want or whatever, get the you know, there wasn't, you know, a necessary budget set on me, you know, but at the same time, I'm a practical chef. There's nothing that I've made decision-wise was just a want. 
everything was based off what's efficient. You know, we're going to do banquets here. What do we need for that area? That's basically the choices that, you know, I made. I just made, I think, solid choices. So, but that's probably the biggest thing I can take away from this is just the space. Now you're a certified executive chef. How long have you had that, those credentials? Um, I got that in 2014. That was when I was, um, I was in Missouri. Um, and I had toured around with it in Kentucky. I started it, stopped it, just wasn't focused enough on doing it or whatever. And, you know, I just felt like in order for people to really take you serious, you know, in this business, especially in the club world, you know, for GMs, especially, you know, you needed that certification. You can call it a piece of paper. You can call it whatever you want, but I think, you know, it, it tells people that you're committed. It tells people that you're serious about what you do. Um, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, being a chef in the club world. What made you decide to become a chef? Well, I, it was a decision I made back in high school. When I was in high school, I think when I was in ninth grade, I was going in the army. That's what my dad was. So you just follow that thing. And I think it went to electrician. It just went to a lot of other stuff or whatever. But, you know, I had been in kitchen since I was 14. You know, I started, you know, washing dishes, you know, did that path, you know, the prep cook thing. And, you know, I was just, I was at one of the hotels in Augusta. I was at the Sheraton in Augusta. And, you know, I think I was 10th grade maybe. And, you know, one of the things I loved about doing there was like Sunday brunch. I loved doing the omelet station. I loved making fruit trays and I loved making sauces. You know, back then I only knew two sauces. It was just like, it was brown and it was white. That was it. But they were good. Um, it was just so natural for me. You know, it was, you know, I, I think things that you ultimately enjoy doing and things that you're passionate about it comes easy to you it just you know you can you can do it every day you can I mean when you go to bed you're thinking about it when you wake up you're thinking about it that's when you know it's for you um so that's just the path I I took even though my mom said you know why are you doing that why so I, I got a lot of that or whatever but it was you know it was what I wanted to do it was what I felt you know was the path for me and I think it was a good choice what attracted you to the club world as opposed to restaurants or non-commercial food service? You know, like I, I, my first club job was um, in Charleston doing school. My second club job that really opened my eyes, and this was like, and I'll tell anybody, this was the best experience of my life and my career because of the foundation, uh, but it was Augusta Country Club. You know, I'm from Augusta. Um, that was the club I went to after I graduated, but that wasn't the job that I lined up. The job I lined up was at a hotel there. And um, when I graduated, I'm thinking I got a job and all this other stuff. And when it's got time for me to start, they didn't have the position. So I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, I didn't even know the Gusset Country Club was there. My grandmother actually lives behind the club. And all those years I was in, you know, high school and all that stuff. I, I never knew the club was even there. Uh, but anyway, I was told by one of the uh, local restaurant tours there to go up there and see Kurt Carey. He's the clubhouse manager. And, you know, I did that. And, you know, he hired me. Uh, I started off in the grill. Busy. I mean, this club is, I mean, Gus Gun Club is, is busy. It's a busy club. Um, and then I just worked my way on up to the fine dining. But it was, 
the best experience of my career because I was able to do and apply the things that I learned in college there. You know, I butchered fish, butchered meat, I made sauces. So I didn't come out of school and go into an operation where, you know, hollandaise was in a can or you know, things like that. I was able to actually do the things that I I was shown in, in class and I was able to create and do specials and do all of that stuff. That was the groundwork. And that's where I fell in love with clubs. And I think the job after Augusta, I ended up getting my first sous chef gig in a hotel. And it was that job I realized this isn't for me. This isn't where my heart is. My heart is in clubs. My heart is like, you know, you know, when you make the connection with members and, you know, that sort of thing, you know, it's the freedom, you know, and clubs, no day is the same. Everything is different. Like here, I can change the menus every week, every two weeks. If something's not moving right or whatever, I can pull it off. I got total freedom. Uh, and at the same time, the biggest thing I love about it is the ability to source quality. You know, I don't, I don't have anybody asking me, why are you, you, you're buying, you know, that Japanese Wagyu, you know, A5, that's $90 a pound or whatever. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I just, I make the purchases um, respectfully. Um, I try it with members and I see how it goes, but that's what I can do. I'm not, I'm, I'm in a position now to where, the demand and what they want is quality. And it's, you know, it's, it's prime grade and higher. It's all fresh seafood. So that's my comfort level. That's what I've always done anyway. So I just feel like this is the only environment where I can do that and I don't have to sacrifice the quality. What have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced in the course of your career? Um, I probably the only biggest challenge I've probably faced throughout my career is probably, you know, being looked at for the chef that I am, you know, and that's pretty much it, you know, being treated fairly on the job, doing interviews, doing the process. That's, that's been the only challenge that I've, I've actually had, you know, everything else, you know, it's, it's easy, you know, it's easy to um, address or whatever, but that's something that that's out of my hands. I can't do anything about that. How have you overcome those challenges? Um, you know, it's just, uh, you just keep moving. That's just basically it. I don't think you ever overcome them. The challenges are still there. And I think they're going to always be there. Um, you just have to stay positive and upbeat. And uh, you have to move on, you know, to the next and hope, you know, um, it's a little bit different. I'm just a little bit stronger and tough skin to where it doesn't affect me mentally. I just pick up and keep moving. And, you know, and then I come to a place like this right here and they love me, you yeah. know, and I don't take that for granted at all. It's a, it's a family, you know, that's who owns awesome. the club Doyle, They own the club or whatever. Mm -hmm. And from day one, they, from the first time I met them at their office or whatever, it's been the same. Like awesome. they saw somebody, that could open their club and give them what they want and meet and exceed expectations. You know, um, you know, we have ongoing conversations about what they need, what they want. I mean, the feeling is like unreal. So everything that I've went through is fine. If I can get to where I am today, where I am right now, where I'm sitting right now. 
So having had those experiences over the course of your career, how does that influence your process when you bring in new people, when you do interviews? What do you look for? I look for people, it depends on the position. You know, first of all, I tell people when they come in and they interview with me, um, I treat everybody the same. I treat everybody fair. I, I give everybody the same spiel. It doesn't matter who comes in, um, what you look like, you know, male, female, it's the same spiel. I was like, I've, 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 I've been on the other side before. I've, I know what it's like to be mistreated or I know what it's like to be treated unfair. And, you know, that's not who I am. You know, I, that's not the, the type of kitchen I run. You know, I don't even, you know, if, if I have a sous chef or somebody in a leadership role and, and that's their style of management, it's not going to work because that's not who I am. And that's not what I'm going to promote. I don't care how good you are. It doesn't matter. It's all about how do you treat people? That's it. You got to treat people fair. That's it. That's how you earn your respect. And that's, that's what make people want to work for you. That's what make people want to work with me. It's because, you know, I'm going to treat you fair. If I say something isn't good, it's not good. You know, and it's not coming from a place of uh, anything other than just being honest and wanting the best for you and the operation. Do you have a very diverse operation? I mean, I have everything here. I mean, you know, I have, um, you know, women on the team, um, you know, um, say I have black, I have white, I have Latinos, I have, I mean, everything, you know, it's, and, and, the, and, the, and the thing is, I don't look to create diversity. I let it come to me, you know, simply by whoever comes in the door. Um, you know, they get an interview process, they get a cook test, and they go through all of that stuff. It doesn't matter who you are. So I don't ever speak about diversity because I don't feel I need to, because that's not something that I'm working to get better at, you know, because it's, it's a natural thing. It's already there. It's here. That's just the makeup of the kitchen or whatever. We don't have to self-educate each other, you know, especially like during these times, like, what we're going through now, whatever, that's not even a conversation that I've ever had in any of my kitchens because everybody know, everybody gets a fair shake. That's it. Everybody. What value does it bring to the club kitchen to have that innate organic diversity? I think for me, um, I think what it brings to the table, especially in a club environment like this, it says that, you know, anybody, for me, if you look at me, I mean, when people see me, it's like, well, man, I can be the chef. You know, I mean, anything is, is, is possible. You know, all I got to do is, is work hard. I, I think it, it gives people something to look forward to. I think it gives them something uh, to work towards or whatever. I, it, it gives them goals. That's what I think it, it does for the, the world I'm in. How have your experiences shaped your management style and your leadership values? Um, I've had some pretty you know, disturbing experiences in this business or whatever. I think my first experience with probably discrimination was probably, I think I was at, not think, I was at, uh, I was in school. Um, I was at Seabrook. Um, there was a, it's a, it's a resort there. And it was a second job. And I'm 18 years old. I mean, I'm like, this is my first time away. Uh, that was probably my first job out of school. Well, first job doing school, you know, professional job or whatever. And I worked with chefs there, especially the executive sous there that just treated me like, basically treated me like shit. 
you know, um, it's, it's the things he would say, you know, this, uh, discriminatory jokes and, you know, things that he would say, and he would say it out loud, and they would say it on a group, you know, like him and his ex-chef, they would like, you know, and they would just laugh about it, but you can tell the, the chef wasn't super comfortable about it, but he had a young sous chef that was good. So he was just kind of just going with it or whatever. You know, the banquet chef, I worked with him. I can tell he didn't like it because he didn't like, you know, he didn't join the huddles or whatever. But um, it was all the time. It was constant or whatever. I mean, I, I, I remember one time we had, we were coming out with a new menu. And um, this is when they closed uh, uh, the banquet kitchen now or whatever. And then we moved to the main clubhouse. So uh, we're coming up with a new menu. And, you know, basically it's all white guys on the front line and, you know, they all got menus, recipes and specs. And I'm like, Hey chef, can I get a you know a menu with the recipes and, you know, whatever, you know, he just simply told me for what, I mean, he just looked at me. He's like, for what? He's like, just get in the back and prep something, you know? So, I mean, that's just basically what I had to do. I had to just get in the back and prep something. And I watched these guys struggle to put a menu out instead of bringing me into the process or whatever, you know? Um, you know, it's stuff, it's, it's being treated like that. You know, when you're treated like that or whatever, you see something and you see what you don't want to be. And that's just something that I don't want to be. I mean, I've, I've been on interviews, you know? Um, I remember one interview, um, I wasn't working at the time. I did a phone interview with um, this club in North Carolina. And, um, they lost a chef. I mean, he needed a chef like today, like literally like yesterday. That's how bad they were. And uh, he checked my references uh, at one of the clubs in North Carolina. He knew the GM and the references were like stellar. And he called me. He's like, hey, I talked to Tom. And I mean, he said nothing but great things about you. I want to bring you on. We need a chef, you know, and he just giving his spill. I said, like, okay, well, it sounds like I'm interested, but I, I like the at least come and see the place. And I was in Birmingham at the time. So I drove all the way to North Carolina, um, you know, just to do a face-to-face -face interview or whatever. And I can tell, you know, when we met, you know, him and his dad or whatever, they weren't interested. I mean, you can, you can, the conversation changes, you know, the look changes or whatever. So, I mean, we talked for about 30 minutes. We had already planned on me working in the kitchen. So, you know, he sent me back to the kitchen I worked the night, went home, uh, and I was heading back to Birmingham uh, to go back home or whatever. You know, keep in mind now, he pretty much gave me the job before I even came. I didn't even need to come. And so he called me and, you know, on, I was like, I was driving through Atlanta. That's how I remember it. I know the exit I was on, everything, Memorial Drive, past Memorial Drive. And he's like, well, hey, you know, um, thanks for coming in, but, you know, I think we're going to go a different route and, you know, the whole spill or whatever I was like okay well thank you for your time um that's kind of how that went or whatever so it went from you telling me I had a job to you know to I don't or whatever you know um I mean I've been on interviews with club managers uh I remember you know an uh, interview in Atlanta you know I went on a, a chef interview it was a smaller club uh phone conversation was great you know uh both clubs were on the same level you know, I was at the Piedmont Driving Club. So this other club is on the same level or whatever. So um, same thing, you know, I walk in the room. Uh, he walks in the room and I think that interview lasted like five minutes. I mean, you know, it just, there was no conversation. There was no dialogue. Uh, you experience things like that. 
you know, and from that point on, I started doing certain things, you know, um, about my resume, you know, I mean, I'm a junior. I mean, I just, I dropped the junior off or whatever, you know, I started submitting um, photos like in the actual like package or whatever. So they can see this is who I am. This is what's going to show up. This is what you're going to get. I mean, I literally started doing that. Um, you know, I remember, um, you know, interviewing down in, in Hilton Head um, at one of the clubs there and one of the GMs there, we talked years before. And, you know, he liked me then. He knew uh, one of the guys I worked with and all that other stuff or whatever. And he had an opening and he called me immediately. He said, hey, you know, how do you feel about interviewing here? I know we didn't hook up, you know, a couple of years ago uh, because he was down in Fort Myers and I didn't want to really move down there. Um, so he set the interview up. Um, you know, of course, I had the interview with, the, um, you know, the, the hiring committee or whatever, the, the board. Uh, I mean, I walked in the room and they, it just, it was just cold. Like he even felt it. I mean, that interview process lasted maybe five, 10 minutes or whatever. Um, you have a feeling when people are engaged, you know, they ask you questions, you know, they want to know about you. That's when you know, you know, you're getting a fair shot. Uh, but when you walk into a room and especially after you've done pre-interviews and stuff like that or whatever, and it's just silence or whatever. I mean, you know, that's just what it is, you know. So I've experienced a few times and, you know, I just I just walk away and that's just basically it. I mean, there's nothing really you can do. Just move on. Um, so it's changed how you treat your people. That experience on the other end is significantly different for the people that interview with you. Exactly. You know, that'll never happen with me. I, I, I would never you know, do that or whatever. Um, it's just my standard. It's my person. When you go through that and you go through it more than once, um, it just, it shapes you a lot different or whatever. And you see things differently. Um, you know, like I tell people all the time, like you always get a second shot. Like you can mess up with me. Easy. I'll give you a second shot. I believe everybody deserves a second opportunity. And I give a lot of second opportunities. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But I can sleep at night knowing I gave that person that second opportunity. You know, he or she may have messed up. That's on them. But I gave you the fair shot. And that's a fair shot with everybody. I just, I just don't see people the way some people see people. I just, I, I don't. I see what they can bring to the table, how they can help the operation. That's what I see. That's what I'm hiring. You know, if I need somebody to cook family meal for the staff of 150, you know, I'm looking for something specific or whatever. You know, they don't have to be the best line cook because that's not, you know, what I need. So that's how I hire people. And that's how I look at people. That's how I treat people. Um, no one can say anything different. No one. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us and your time with us today, Chef. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. For more podcasts, check out our site, clubandresortchef.com.